case uh, that serious consequences. And now it's time for Terror Shut up and sit down. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another edition of Paraprobe. I am your guest host and anchor, Justin Cases Mine. Um, I so, swear, I thought you were going to say Timberlake. <laughs> uh, so we, um, well, we've been doing a a rapid fire interview for the last uh, two shows. Then it's going to be the last one uh, today yep. uh, with Mr. Herbert Eric Stevens. And I do got an announcement to make real quick. And I know that uh, my cohort here, Jesse, has one to make as well. Do you want to go first or? You go first. Okay. All right. So next week, uh, for our guest coming on, yours is going to take longer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So next week, coming on the show, we are going to be having a guest uh, call in, Mr. Christopher Saint Booth. Now, for those of you in the paranormal field, you guys looks like a young Rob Zombie. I swear. Yeah, bro. And his twin <laughs> brother. Yeah, they, they they dress like that the whole nine yards. Pretty cool. Um, so anyways, <laughs> yeah, but he's never heard that before. Um, so long story short, Christopher St. Booth will be calling in the show and he is going to be discussing, uh, some of his upcoming projects he's doing currently ones he's working on, uh, and a lot of other things. So as I said, for those in the paranormal field, we all know who he is and stuff that he's done, but I'm going to put this out there for some who may not be familiar. All right. So Christopher St. Booth, he's the director, producer, composer, writer, and editors of films for TV and documentaries for Sci-Fi Channel, Chiller, NBC Universal, Sony Pictures, Redbox, Amazon Destination America, Discovery, Travel Channel, Netflix, iTunes, Disney, Hulu, Vimeo, YouTube, Red, <laughs> Spook Productions, AT&T, Roku, Apple TV, and foreign distributors worldwide. Uh, he is the CEO of Spook Productions and Twin Talk Entertainment, known for his films Never Blink. Uh, Dead Still on Sci-Fi, Death Tunnel by Sony Pictures, uh, The Possessed, uh, Spooked, Children of the Grave is seen on Sci-Fi, uh, which that was pretty freaking, that, that was a good one. Uh, the Exorcist File, Destination, uh, that's on Destination America, Redbox, uh, Exorcism Live, Destination America, and Dark Place Amazon. So anyway, so he's been everywhere. Yeah, yeah, dude, he's done a <laughs> lot. He, him and his brother are huge in the paranormal field for film and stuff like that, everything. Including investigations, um, and he's done a little bit of everything. Man, wrote music for some of these, you know, uh, you know, some of these uh, documentaries and TV shows and everything else he's done. Uh, the guy just—he's a jack of all trades, man. Master of none, still better than a master of one. Exactly, and still Dude. better than a master. Yeah, of no, me. I'm excited now. That's super cool. Like, I I, I've heard of him. Yeah. I've heard a few things, but like, I'm a master of putting bait on a hook. Yes, 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 yeah. and fishing and stuff. Yeah. Anyways, um. Huge shout out to Nikki and Jens. Congratulations on getting married. Yes, yes, I saw that yeah. on Instagram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh huh. We're not going to leave them out ever. I know. I like them. <laughs> Anyways, uh, how you doing, Mister? It's Eric? great. For, I I can't forget the people that I like because it's a small list. The people that can't stand that's like really long. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. How are you? <laughs> Alright. Uh well uh we're uh back with you for yeah, the we gotta uh, stop meeting like this. Yeah. I know, people are starting to talk, they're wondering where my money's going. Right. right? Yeah. 
<laughs> yep. Um, to a very good cause. <laughs> so, look, uh, we're, we're going to put a pretty bow on this and uh, set it up for whatever the hell happens next, I guess, because okay. uh, okay. story's still ongoing, and we did some chit-chatting earlier today, and um, he was showing me how, like, there has been sales on his books because mm-hmm. there's a ranking, there's reviews, there's all kinds of other crap. But it's not showing up on his, you know, apps that say, hey, you know, this is the companion app for, like, Amazon, for an Amazon creator or mm-hmm. whatever. And it's all showing zip zero zilch. And that's, like, 100% verifiable because, like, confirmed purchase reviews on Amazon. Like, yeah, it's like, whoa. So you have all these confirmed purchases for your book and everything else and still not seeing a penny. And it's sold out in Europe. Really? Legit. Like, th- these uh, are... these are. It's crazy, man. Those are the things, like, we were able to legitimize. There there, there was some back and forth, I'm not going to lie. There was some back and forth between us about, like, hey, you know, is this legitimate or is this verifiable or could this be something else? And I don't want to put it out there that, like, there's something else out there well, or, or some other explanation well, that here, can be... Here's the thing. Um, if you went back to... The book came out on the... Um, 22nd of March in 2018, okay? By May, that thing was ranking number one across like 35 different search engines. You could go to Amazon and you could type in the word documentation. 25,000 books would load. I'd be ranking number one. Didn't matter if it was over at your friend's house, somebody at work, somebody Mm -hmm. at school, uh, clients or customers that I met in the field in their living rooms. You know, I told them I wrote a book, and I'd say, okay, pull up Amazon. They'd pull up Amazon. I'd say, uh, type in the word biography. 100,000 books would load. And sitting there at number one, literary documentation. Book one, stuck on the outside. My personal quest to become an integral part of the American Dream by Herbert Eric Stevens, that be me. Yep. Okay. And to put this out there real quick to our listening audience, for anybody who's new who's joined along with our show, uh, because we've been picking up a lot of new followers, too, at, at like every show that we do. Yeah. Uh, and not to mention the fact, too, I mean, for people out there who are crushing and snorting Xanax, if you're falling asleep before the show comes on, um, you have really missed a hell of a story for, like, the last two shows. I mean... Well, it's true. People do do that. Um, so, anyways, with that happening, uh, this gentleman. Where the hell do you get this stuff? I don't know. <laughs> I, I've never tried to figure my brain out. If I do, then I will get lost in oh, some God. weird world. Um, but, anyways, long story short, you know, uh, Mr. Stevens, we've had on the show now for this our third show. Correct. Um, and he has had one crazy story, and I, I don't want to say it's a story because the story is, you know. Non or it is fictional. You know, this is more nonfiction. Oh, it's one hundred percent nonfiction. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Th- this yeah. is a situation. Right. Yeah, this is a situation with this book where he has been. You know, I'm gonna see if I can paraphrase this, so it may not sure. sound perfect, but I'm no. paraphrasing to catch people up, right? So we can roll on. Right. All right. Long story short, the man basically created the app of GPS. <clears throat> not talking about GPS, but like the app of GPS to go for your phone to help you find your way around. Now it's bigger than that. And I'm just starting from there. Okay. So screwed up, screwed over from there all the way up to, you know, a senator all the way through to, you know, the the whole point of um, uh, Garmin, you know, military company, you know, that makes a lot of military products, uh, basically stealing it in a sense. 
uh, moving up to Bill Gates being involved, moving over to <laughs> a whole lot of other very big name important people, and then turn right around. This whole tell-all book that he has wrote has been completely undermined and pushed under the carpet, basically from Barnes and Nobles, Amazon, and all the other high-ranking you know book companies. Yeah, with legitimately confirmed sales, but no. But no royalties, no nothing. Yeah, so. So, like I said, we're, we're paraphrasing this just for the people that's catching right, up today's right, show. Right. And he also had some time with uh, former President Trump as what? What were you doing for Trump? Oh, okay. So, my foray into the uh, Trump arena began the day that Trump actually came down the escalator. And I got up off of my couch and I sent an email and I said, hey, if he's serious about running, <clears throat> you know, send me an email. I'd be honored to help, right? So about three they they sent me an email back and they said, hey, we'll let you know, you know, when we're ready to go. So, okay, fine. Three months later, I get an email that says, hey, Herbert Eric Stevens, would you like to come to Conshohocken, Pennsylvania and work in our phone room for Donald Trump? And I said, nope. About a month goes by and they said, hey, Herbert Eric Stevens, would you like to come to northern New Jersey, New Brunswick and work in the phone room for, you know, Donald Trump? And I said, nope. About two weeks after that, I get an email that says, hey, Herbert Eric Stevens, would you like to come to Trump Tower? And I said, now nah, you're talking my yep. language. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, the last six months of the campaign for uh, two days a week, I would get in my Jeep and I would drive to Manhattan. And I actually uh, worked in Trump Tower uh, in the phone room making phone calls to help people, you know, vote for Trump. Mm -hmm. So my son says to me the the evening before the first time I'm going up, he says, so what do you think is going to happen, Dad? I said, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. I said, I'm going to get there. I'm going to outwork everybody who's there. I said, by the end of the night, one or two things is going to happen. They're either going to figure out who I am, I said, or they're going to think I know something and ask me if I have any good ideas. So. First day I get there, man, I, they introduce me. They put me on the phone. And I'm just making phone calls. Hey, would you like to vote for president? I'm sorry, for the future president, you know, Donald John Trump. Okay, so for those of you who don't know his middle name, it's John. So Donald John Trump, mm -hmm. right? And uh, so you're just hanging up, picking up, making a call, making a call, right? So uh, something kind of struck me a little funny. But anyway, man, let me tell you guys, I didn't take a break. I went bell to bell. I did 10 hours straight on the phone, just picking it up, dialing, next one, next one, next one. So I'm the last guy who hangs up. So the lady says to me, she says, um, you know, Eric, you seem like you might know something. And they really could use some help upstairs. I said, really? She said, yeah. She said, so if, if you have any ideas, you know, I really, really would really appreciate it. I said, well, listen, I'm going to the hotel. I tell you what. I said, I'm going to be back tomorrow to do a second day here. I said, when I come back, I said, if I got anything, I'll let you know. She said, okay, fine. So the next night, I go in and I say, uh, do you have a piece of paper? And she says, yeah. I said, yeah, I think I figured it out. I said, I'll be back in 30 minutes. So I go sit down and I'm making phone calls and now I'm doing my graphs and my chart and stuff like that. 
30 minutes, I hang up the phone, I walk over, I hand her the sheet of paper. She looks at it. She looks at the lady who's sitting next to her and shows it to her. And they both look at each other and they go, my God, we've got to get this upstairs right now. So they take off, right? I go right back to the phone, sit down, I start hammering the phone, making my calls. Now, you guys know what it feels like when all of a sudden somebody's looking over your shoulder? Every day. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I'm feeling this thing. So I'm feeling this thing over my shoulder and I turn. And all the suits are now downstairs, and they're standing behind me, mm-hmm. right? And I looked up at him. I said, I don't know what you're standing here looking at me for. I already gave you the formula. The technology exists. All you got to do is go ahead and go upstairs and reroute everything in your phone system, and then you can use it in every office across the United States. I said, and I guarantee you, we'll be fine. They're like, okay. So I leave it. I go right back to the to What the did phone. you give them? Huh? I'm going to tell you. So I go right back to the phone, right? I'm hanging up. I'm hanging up. Okay. So the next week when I come in, they say, oh, excuse me, Eric, when you make phone calls tonight, we've changed it. This is what we're now doing. And I said, yeah, of course it is, right? So what had happened was they were reaching. Okay, first of all, the goal when you're calling for a candidate mm-hmm. is to do what? <clears throat> is to get that candidate into every, every living room. Ha- yep, every, every house you can get a hold right? of. Yep. Okay. But we all know nobody answers the phone. Everybody mm-hmm. has right. what? An answering answer machine, machine, right? Yep. But everybody does what? They listen to the answering machine. Mm, everybody does. That's I why don't. they have it. I right? Don't. Okay. So I literally... <laughs> I don't listen to one voicemail. Yeah. yeah most, people, <laughs> most people do. Okay. Most do. We're talking about answering machines that are in people's homes. You know, in 2016, when a lot of people still had landlines. Okay. So what happened was they were only reaching 17% on their phone calls because if you got an answering machine, guess what you were instructed to do? Hang up. Hang up. Right. So I told him, I said, look, man, if you guys will simply just leave a message. I know you just thought the same thing I did. Yeah, I said, if you guys will leave a message, I said, guess what's going to happen when an old Jeb in Kentucky answers the phone? He's going to say, Margo, Donald John Trump from Manhattan is on our answering machine. Come listen to this. I got to go tell my friend Zeb. Hey, Zeb, you ain't never going to believe who's on our answering machine, man. It's Donald Trump. Come on over to the house and, 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 and take a listen. And they literally said that people were coming out of the back hills voting for Trump who had not voted in 30 and 40 years. Now, when I tweaked that thing, when I first sat down, they were getting 17% penetration. When I tweaked that thing, that sucker went to 87%. You know better to say that in front of us, but whatever. Yeah, well, yeah. well that thing went to 87%. Wow, that's some good penetration. So yeah, so I no kidding, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. So I asked. So yeah, yeah. rock bottom on that one. Yeah, right. So (laughs) some things you just don't hear. You got to train this thing. Right, right, right. (laughs) So you know, people have asked me. They say, "Oh, so you're trying to say that you're responsible for Trump getting elected?" I'm saying, "No, I can't make that statement. But what I can say is, I certainly did help. Yeah, absolutely. I certainly did help. So when it gets down to there's like. Five days left in the campaign, all of a sudden, the birther issue resurfaces on whether or not Mm -hmm. Barack Obama is a natural-born U.S. citizen. So the lady, she comes to me, and she says, look, Eric, you need to go home, and you need to write something and bring it back. I go, what are you talking about? They're talking about that birther thing. She says, I know, but you need to really figure this thing out. You need to write something up. I I said, that's too easy. There's no way the man was born on U.S. soil. 
are you kidding me? She says, well, I need you to go write something because I want to win. I said, okay, fine. I'll go home. I'll write something. So I sit down, and the first thing that I do is I go to Wikipedia, okay? And Wikipedia in 2016 on Barack Obama, okay, was all verified and approved by Barack Obama. So once my book came out, what I did was I literally took those pages from Wikipedia about Obama and I put them in my book. And then I gave the credit in the bibliography like you're supposed to for those, yeah. for those pages, oh, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. They literally took that Wikipedia down and they put up a new one. Okay. So if in the event people would read, he literally told you, and you can read it in the book, okay? He literally told you, based on dates and times and figures, that there was no way that he was born on U.S. soil. But people don't want to read, okay? But let's just take the academic aspect of it out of the way, and let's put it aside, and let's talk about the good old U.S. of A., okay? Now, uh, this segment that I'm going to uh, do right now, you might want to put the kids away. Five, four, three. Two, one. Okay. In 1969, in the United States on U.S. soil, it was still legal up until 1969 to lynch black men in America. Okay. Hawaii was, in fact, and still is today, U.S. soil. Okay. So if you read Obama's own account of dates and times, here's what happened. His father was a black African. Okay. His mother is Caucasian, right? Mm -hmm. And the dates and times that he has there in his own Wikipedia will prove to you that when he impregnated her, he was seven years older and she was 17 years of age. First of all, that's statutory rape. Okay. Mm. Second of all, had they walked into a hospital in 1961 on U.S. soil and said, hey, we're going to name our son Barack Hussein Obama. Well, guess what? In 1967 in Hawaii, Harry Belafonte at the time, then, you know, the guy who sang, Dale, Dale, mm -hmm. okay, he was the number one paid entertainer in the United States. I think it was either NBC or CBS. Anyway, one of them, they were filming a special, and they had him singing a song, and I believe it's with Dusty Springfield, mm -hmm. okay? All right. So uh, halfway through the song, she reaches over and she touches Belafonte on the arm. Man, they shut down production. They threatened to kick him off the island. They went back and forth with New York for two or three days because they were going to pull the entire broadcast and the show down. And it took them like two to three days, and they finally agreed that the two of them could sing together, but they could not in could any not way, shape, any or way form touch. touch. Now, yeah. that's 67. That's six years yeah. after 61, okay? Mm -hmm. And I was once having this conversation with a good old boy from Georgia, mm -hmm. and he was about, I'd say, late 70s, early 80s, okay? And I said to him, I said, what do you think would have happened, okay, had they gone into the hospital there in Hawaii? And by the way, the hospital in which he said that he was born in uh, was not built until 1972. Now, also in my book, you will see, since we're talking birth certificates, I'm a fair guy. So I put my own birth certificate in there. Now, when I went to get my driver's license uh, in New Jersey, they told me that my original birth certificate that was signed at the hospital by my mother and father the same day I was born 
was not considered to be a legitimate birth certificate, and I would have to contact the state of Indiana and get an original one. So I contacted the state of Indiana, mm-hmm. and I got an original one. It's nothing more than a way for them to make some money. Just make money? Okay. okay. Sure. I was wondering why they claimed sure, sure. it was fake. So okay. in the book, you. you will see the front of my original birth certificate with the old 1950 cars on it in the picture in the front of the hospital. You will see the back of it with the signatures, okay? The weight and all of that, length of the baby, that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I was a handsome little guy. But anyway, um, <laughs> then when the one comes in from Indiana, now they're sending them and they're digital. So everything is like typed in, you know, and it's just a regular standard, you know, square sheet of paper and it has all the vitals on it, mm-hmm. right? Came in in three days, took Obama one year to produce his. You know why? Because they had to manufacture it. Okay, so the birth certificate is 100 percent a fraud uh, and it's actually been proven through forensics because the main problem that they had was when they layered down the dates and times in both corners of the birth certificate, the left side and the right side. Guess what? There were no copy machines in 1961. Everything was hand stamped. Both of the date marks that are stamped in each corner are 100% in exactly the same location of each section of the birth certificate, and they are perfect, and they are uh, laid down in uh, print. So anyway, the birth certificate's a fraud. Mm-hmm. So back to the good old boy from Georgia. Now, all this is also in your book as all well. All of this is in the book. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, everything's in the book. Absolutely. <laughs> it's funny because Jesse was saying to me, he said, man, Eric, look. He says, I don't know if people are going to buy that book at $44.95. I said, dude, that's the Kindle. I said, I love it when people are buying the one for $205.43 in hardcover. For well, Barnes see, and I, was, I was trying to, so. That, but, here, is, but, but, I showed, but I did show uh, Jesse off air where Barnes & Noble is, in fact, printing the paperback version in blocks of 300 at a time. Yeah, mm-hmm. he, showed, yeah. he showed me the, like, the barcode and everything. But what yeah. I was saying is he's very articulate. Um, obviously you well, like I'm an American. I'm y- supposed to be able to speak the Queen's English, man. But let me tell you what the old dude said from Georgia. You ready? He looked at me and he said, Eric, let me tell you something. He said, not only would we have lynched the father, we would have lynched the parents too. Okay? So what you got to understand is, is there was any way that he would have walked in there being seven years older, okay? Mm-hmm. And he's, you know... She was 17 when he impregnated her. On U.S. soil, there's no way those doctors would have stood by and let that happen. The other thing is is you've got a two-term sitting president, and not once. These people who would have delivered him would now be in their 60s late and in their 70s. There's never been one doctor. There's never been one nurse. There's never been one orderly. There's never been one register in two terms of his presidency that ever came forth and said, hey, man, I was there today. Obama was birthed in that hospital. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's no way. And I personally have a video that I didn't get to when we were talking earlier that's in his phone that actually shows Obama in Kenya in front of an audience where he states right out of his own mouth that he is the first president of the United States who was born in Kenya. (laughs) But I don't fault Obama, believe it or not. I don't fault him at all. You know who I fault? Cheney and Bush. They knew. They had to know. It's their job to know. But what they figured, listen, I've got a brother-in-law, okay, who was the Marine on the front door, okay, 
under Reagan for four years. So wherever Reagan went, he went. And he told me, he said, he said, brother law, he says, there are many things I got to take to the grave. He said, but I will tell you about the vetting process. This is long before all of this stuff was going on, right? Oh, before Obama was even a thought. And uh, I said, well, what happened? He said, man, I went home one day. He says, and this lady walked up to me on the street and she said, hey, and she said my name. And she said, is that you? And he says, yeah, how you doing? She says, well, I don't know if you remember me, but I was your third grade teacher. And these three men in black suits came to my front door last week, and they were asking me everything about you. What kind of student you were? What kind of mannerism? Did you get into fights? You know, were you a good student and all of that? And, you know, we said our pleasantries, and she left. He said, then I went to the barbershop. He said, as soon as I walked in there, they said, man, we I can't believe you here, man. We just had three dudes, man, in black suits that came by here. And they were he said they went to every job he had had, every school that he had had, every sports team he had participated in. OK, he said, man, the vetting process was unbelievable. So now you got to look at 2008. And let me tell you something. In 2004, when Obama spoke at the Democratic Convention, I sat on my sofa that evening and I literally watched that speech, which was right down the middle. And I said, you know what? One day now that man there, he has potential to possibly become the first black president of these United States. I called it in 2004, but I don't have any way to verify that. But I'm just telling you, <laughs> yeah. you'll see everything else in the book is true. Right? I have no reason to make that up, but I just wanted to get that in from my point of view of him, right? Yeah. Because things do change, okay, when people get into the heat of battle and they want something as big as the presidency. The real policymaker came forth. And what he was willing to do and what he was about, all of that then came out. And the night before the election, my son said, Pop, you going to vote for him? I said, well, let me tell you something. I never thought in my lifetime that we would have a legitimate black man that would be voting. I mean, that I ha would have an opportunity to vote for president. I said, but son, from where I sit, he's not right for America. I said, and uh, I don't like his policies, and uh, I, can't pull, I, I can't pull the lever for him. I can't vote for him. So I'm one of a very, very extremely low percentage of black Americans who never pulled the trigger for Obama. I just didn't believe that he was uh, good for America. And, in fact, I was spot on. Yeah. All right. Uh, Jesse, you look like you were going to say something a minute ago. It's gone. It's I, gone. I, I'm It'll come back. Fleeting thought. It'll yeah. come back. Well, no, no, no. I was saying that you should, like, I was trying to convince him he should start his own podcast on, like, Rumble or YouTube or whatever. I mean, like, it would be, I think people would like to hear your story. And, I mean, you can monetize that, too. And... It wouldn't probably be as much as, you know, the book royalties, $5 million or whatever, you know, or $20 million or however many millions you're getting. But, I mean, it'll also be another way to get your story out there. And you could – I told him he could sit down, do, like, turn his video on his phone on and talk forever and then, like, knock it down in, like, 15-minute sound bites and release it every yeah, so often or whatever. Out there. I mean, well, like, you guys it, might have to show me how to do that. Yeah. You guys might have to show me how to do that. But uh, I tell you, Chance, when I interviewed with you guys last Saturday, okay? Speak a little Monday, more into the Yeah, when I interviewed with you guys last mm -hmm. Saturday, on Monday, I did uh, my first uh, podcast out of Chicago with a gentleman by the name of Eric Fleming. He has a, a podcast that's out there that's called A Moment with Eric. And um, it's, a, it's a political thing. So we covered a lot of these things that we're actually speaking about. Mm -hmm. But he had... A predominantly black audience. So it was the first time that I was able to, you know, 
you know, speak to, you know, that particular audience on this topic. And believe you me, what I'm saying is not very popular, but the thing about it is, is, is that uh, in uh, 1961, that would have been the way things probably would have, in fact, shake, shaken themselves out, you know, to be. It would not have fared well. Now, you know what's interesting about this? Um, Sidney Portier and Harry Belafonte, mm -hmm. when uh, Obama's father won the scholarship to go to the University of Hawaii, they flew over to Africa and they met him. And uh, actually, when they met him, he was with his wife, his daughter, and his wife was pregnant at the time. OK, they agreed to take care of all of his finances as far as like money for, you know, meals and, you know, all of his incidentals and cover his books and stuff like that. Right. Mm -hmm. Once he got um, uh, Obama's mother pregnant, they pulled their funding back and they stepped away. And Belafonte then went to somebody else and asked them to foot the bill and pick up the tab, and he told them that it would be a good political move. They agreed and picked up the tab. You want to know who it was? Yeah. John Fitzgerald <clears throat> Kennedy. He was running for president at the time. Really? Yeah. Now, I or, have a, or had already become president at the yeah. time, but yeah. So, no, I have, uh, well, I got a quick JFK question. JFK actually backed his father's education when he finished out uh, his studies. Now, I have a quick question, though. So, Belafonte, when he backed out, Right. When this was, you know, allegedly, yeah, right. when, when this allegedly going on, he backed out. Right. Was it because of the appearance why he backed out? But then under, you know, went, you know, under the they radar to get it funded. He was already married mm -hmm. with with one child and with one on the way. Yeah. And he impregnates a white girl who's 17 years and of age. And of course, they wanted to not be attached to that. Oh, they canceled that themselves publicly. out like Christmas. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah. But okay. guess where I got this information? You ready? Mm -hmm. Obama's Wikipedia. Really? Uh huh. It's in my book, the original one that they've since pulled down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all of this is in there. But now, people don't read. Yeah, and now once again, uh, when did this get pulled down, the, the, the original uh, about one? About two years after my book came out. So okay. the one that's up there now, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's a bunch of generic stuff, you know, or whatever the case may be. But I don't know. Originally he had put – and I tell you, in the original one, he even talked about how his mother dropped out of college in the, her fifth month because she was starting to show – as being pregnant and what have you. Oh, yeah, it was, it was, I was sitting there reading this stuff, and I was like, oh, my gosh, man. So I fired off. I sat down, and I literally wrote. Uh, uh, I showed some of that, but I actually wrote a 50-page document. I put it in an envelope, cellophane, binders, and stuff, and I made two envelopes. One I put to Steve Bannon, and the second one I put to Kellyanne Conway. So I go back in, I see the lady, I said, here. This is for Kellyanne. This one's for Steve. They're running his campaign. Take this upstairs. So they took him up, right? Mm -hmm. So in there, they had also asked for a copy of my resume. So the resume that they asked me for, copy of that, is in my book, okay? Now, you ever meet a dude, man, who had a book that had his own resume in it? I'm a bad man. But anyway, <laughs> so... Um, I'm just kidding. So, no, but it makes sense. Get your true. resume out there globally. But yeah. but but it's true. Yeah. Okay. So what then happens is is uh, two days later, uh, you ready for this? Trump is on a campaign trail, and he's in like New Hampshire, and all of a sudden, 
back in 93, I don't know if we covered this in another interview, I believe we have, but I had written a document that was like 24 pages, 25 pages regarding, uh, um, you know, um, uh, being able to revitalize our inner cities based on uh, an Oprah show where she said I was oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. right you yep. know a document you yep. know or, or how to how to fix these cities right mm-hmm. so I turn in the 50 page document and my resume two days later Trump's on the campaign trail and guess what he says in New Hampshire hmm. we're going to have a revitalization of our nation's inner cities and I said oh my God I wonder where he got that word from no wonder right hmm. yeah so then that they move on familiar. yeah so then they move on and they go to Washington mm-hmm. right. Okay, so they get to Washington, and, you know, he's just being disrespected. They don't know what kind of power he has. So I just sit down, and I start writing up some documents, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so I put these in some really beautiful binders, you know, white covers for the White House and stuff like that. So I call the lady up, and I said, look. I know you couldn't get me upstairs with those guys, but do you still have access, you know, now that they're in Washington? She said, she said Eric, it's you. Just send it to the mailroom. Kellyanne and Steve, they'll get it. I go, okay. So I package this stuff up, and I FedEx it. And I look at the FedEx billing, and they, the, the documents arrive at the White House on a Friday at like 11, 11.30 in the morning, right? All of a sudden, at like 2 o'clock in the afternoon on, the, on Fox Business, they say, for some reason, the White House has gone dark today. Monday morning, about 10 a.m., Trump comes out, and he is speaking verbatim right out of my documents. And I said, oh, I guess I'm still in. Okay. So I started basically advising him as president then while being stuck on the outside because I wasn't being paid for this. I wasn't being asked for this. And I didn't do this because it's Trump, you guys. I did and brought forth what I brought forth because I'm a freaking American of these United States. And I wanted what's best for the United States of America. Okay. For my kids and my grandkids. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's why I was coming up with this stuff. And man, you want to talk about being spot on? Man, did I call it. In the first document that I sent up there, I told him that Paul Ryan was an anaconda. For those of you who don't know what that means, it's a snake. Okay. And he ended up out. And I also told him that Mike Pence was a Judas and he proved to be one. Okay. So you remember when they were talking about uh, whether or not somebody is, uh, you know, a legal resident of the United States or their right to vote for immigration and stuff like that. And um, so the census question came up. All right. Well, I'm the guy that wrote that. Okay. Yeah. So when it goes into Bannon, the, the mistake he made was they were supposed to just take it, put it on the census, and then let the friggin' census come out, and people would have had to answer it. Oh, no. He takes it and runs with it and takes it and has it put on the census and then tells everybody. Then the next thing I know, I'm standing in my living room. I've got cable on, and guess what's happening? It's being argued on the floor of the Supreme Court. Okay? They struck it down. They pulled the question. It's very easy to tell whether or not somebody is a legitimate U.S. citizen. If you are Native American, and you've been here forever, okay? Mm-hmm. If you're black, you can track us back to <clears throat> slavery, okay? If your ethnicity is Caucasian or general, whatever, you know, uh, Italian, German, whatever, Swiss, anything, if you've come through Ellis Island, there's a record. So all you have to do is you have to is just merge the voting rolls with the census, and there's your formula to tell whether or not somebody is, in fact, a legitimate U.S. citizen, okay? Because only those three parties... We're always here. 
-hmm. Everything else is the process of them opening up the borders and letting people come through. So I owned all the rights to this work. I owned all the intellectual property to this work. I wrote copyright on all of this stuff before I submitted it. Okay, so it was my property. So in the book, in Chapter 8, you will also see every one of these documents of my White House papers, and you can then take them and you can look at the policy that was released, and you can go to YouTube. You can look at anything that the Trump uh, uh, administration has done over the time that those particular documents are there, and you will be able to see that they did definitely, in fact, uh, utilize uh, my suggestions. When it comes to, um, you know, uh, releasing federal prisoners, so Obama... He goes into the federal prison. Actually, he's the first sitting president to ever visit a federal prison and speak with convicts off air. Okay? He then releases murderers, robbers, rapists, and thieves, right? And then when all of these riots were taking place with this so-called Black Lives Matters and all of that nonsense, and they're going from city to city and burning everything up, okay, well, these people were actually ones that were in charge of and heading a lot of that stuff, being put up in hotel rooms and being bussed in hotel rooms also up to $600 a night, okay? Got to remember, Obama is what? He's an organizer, okay? That yep. was his job. That was his skill set. That was his skill set. But let me tell you the first thing that he did when he became president. First thing he did was when they had the oil spill from BP, he invited them into the Oval, and he said, hey, man, y'all are going to pay us for every day that oil's coming through that ground until it gets capped off. You understand? And I'm sitting there. I remember standing up in my living room and saying, man, you can't do that. That's freaking extortion. What's wrong with you? The Queen of England ain't going to go for that. Well, freaking Queen, she went for it. Next stop for him was General Motors. So he goes over to GM and he says, hey, man, right now you guys are making all of these cars. Well, I don't like it. From now on, you're only going to make 8, 9, 10, maybe 11 cars. That's it. Oh, and you see my buddy over here? I don't care that you guys are a privately owned corporation, okay, and you've got shareholders and what have you. Your CEO is freaking out. My buddy Bob over here, whatever his name is, he's now in charge of GM. That's what he did. So what? if you want to break it down to what it actually equates to, is this. So let's say that uh, Jesse and Chance have a uh, Baskin and Robbins shop. You guys have had it for 30 years. You're selling 31 flavors. Well, one day I show up and I step in the side. I said, hey, man, I don't care that you two been selling your 31 flavors, okay? There's 10 of them I don't like. So from today forward, y'all are now only selling 21 flavors, okay? And you see my buddy uh, Bip right here? You two pack your crap because you're out of here because Biff is now running this thing, okay? And that's what he, in fact, did to GM, okay? So when you look at... Well, wasn't that right in the middle of a depression, too? That's when they did, like, doesn't the major... doesn't matter if it's in a Well, they in the did the major the, bail, bailouts, and they bought up... No, doesn't, but that I think it was, matter. like, 60% of the shares and stuff, so technically they're owned by the U.S. government, or were. No, no, uh-uh. As, when you want to talk... Oh, let me crush your balloon real quick here. When you want to talk about... Uh, ownership in federal government uh, and car manufacturers, there's only really one who's been living off the government since inception, and that is Mr. Elon Musk at Tesla, okay? Because you go back to all those early years, okay, and I'm really getting ready to throw you a boomerang, Jesse, because I know that you are a uh, Elon Musk fan, but um, if you go back and you look at all the research you can find on Tesla in the early years, it's like 
all of their stuff was financed by the U.S. government with respect to electric automobiles, okay? And they're, they're still getting money from the government for it now. But anyway, you can trace Mr. Elon Musk beginning back to my GPS, okay? Uh, his very first company that he opened up was called Zipco, okay? Mm -hmm. And what they did was they would... They were in a room with a phone and with a fax machine, okay, right out of my documents, okay, you can see them in the book, <laughs> and what they did was they called up businesses, and they would ask them, hey, you know, like, for example, what's your favorite pizza shop, okay, we're going to send you a map over to show you with directions exactly how to get there, and they would fax it in, and they would get paid, and finally, they managed to sell off that idea, and they took that money, and they came up with PayPal, okay, but here's what's interesting. When they asked him how he came up with the idea, you ready for this, for Zipco? You know what he said? Well, you know, I kind of figured that uh, if a guy wants to know where his favorite pizza shop is, he ought to have directions and know how to get there. Okay. Okay. Now, what's interesting is in my original documents, in my software and everything that I wrote up, it literally tells you that the GPS, the mapping system, could be mapped. It could be done from a room with phones, okay? Mm -hmm. And everything he's talking about is right there, okay? But, yeah, he says that he actually wrote the software, okay, because a guy should know where his favorite pizza shop is. i got to step in here first. Oh, go ahead, Jesse. Go ahead and say no, what go you got to say. Go ahead. Go, go, okay. go, 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 uh, The thing i got to say is, you know what this reminds me of? What? And, 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 and I promise you, for everybody listening to the show, You'll follow my path here when I explain this. Hmm. Forrest Gump. Yeah, right? Now, let me explain why. I get it. The guy who is in all the right place. When you watch Forrest Gump, remember all the historical moments that they had him somehow a part of in his yeah. story. That's right. Yep. That's right? right. Yep. That he was somehow wrapped in it. Even though it was supposed to be a background thing. Right. He wound up a part of major events right in there. history. Yep. Right. That's what this story reminds me of. It's almost like a real-life Forrest Gump. Yeah. You were at these different locations at these these different times with these different ideas, right. things that you had said, things you wrote down right. that wound up getting moved up into historical moments in history. Well, here's the thing, you guys. The majority of uh, corporations that have lived through Silicon Valley, mm -hmm. okay, got their money off of my GPS, okay? Because you got to understand, uh, what did Mr. X say? He said to me, he said, Eric, Gates has your stuff. He's got it, and he's using it. He says, I don't know how he got it. I'm telling you, I don't know how he got it. Okay, we still want to know who Mr. Okay. X is. And if you would have really listened, okay, to Valerie's interview, I stated who he was. Yeah, I, I don't, didn't I know. want to. I don't, yeah, I because know. I don't okay. want to take it, But pre you didn't have to hone in because there's so much stuff that's Well, alive. I mean, I don't want to take here's, here's, here's also a whole was. different – so. The reason that like we're not bring we're bringing oh, up stuff that should be in the interview. I mean, I it's I it's there. This is you. I yes, got it. There yeah, we go. I, this is your brand. I got it. Okay. Yep. So, the guy who I met with in Arlington, Virginia, at eight o'clock the morning of the day in which Rockefeller's office took everything away. Okay. This guy. Uh, and we were referring to Senator Rockefeller. Senator Jay Rockefeller, West Virginia. Then yep. sitting senator. He's now retired, but he's still alive. Yeah, he okay. was the sitting senator sitting at senator that time. West Virginia. Yep. Okay. All right. So, did you guys ever take the time to read the tagline that's on the back of my book? No. Nope. Yeah. Okay. Mm -mm. So here's <laughs> what it says. Best I can. I might 
Well, well, let me try and see if I can wing this thing. Okay. It says, from the office of a U.S. senator to a tech giant to Hollywood Network Television to the floor of the Senate to the Library of Congress to the desk of six U.S. presidents to the auto industry to the U.S. military, what do they all have in common? They all utilized this one man, the one-man think tank, creator of the GPS point-to-point navigation system in your phone, car, laptop, on your desktop, and any mode of transportation. You've got to ask yourself a question. Why is this guy stuck on the outside? Did he really suffer the largest theft of intellectual property in history? You read and decide. I need to caution you, this book is not for the faint of heart, okay? So everything that is in that book description, the documents are in the book to support it. Do you have a photographic memory? Well, thank you very much. No, I'm asking. I think I remember who you are. (laughs) I hate you. (laughs) I automatically hate you Trust me, there was a couple of times where I started wondering if you had an idyllic memory. I really did. No, I mean, because he's... Well, I never boozed it up or drugged it up or brawled it up, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, some some of of your dates are like... Okay. Yeah, yeah, some of your dates are like dead on, dead off. I mean, like, so the... uh, Because, you know me, I'm always, like, looking at stuff and blah, blah, blah. As far as Elon Musk goes, like, you, you... I'm still kind of a fan. I'm not like a fanboy of Elon Musk. Yeah. He does some stuff that makes me mad a lot. Yeah, but that but like, thing is real. Buddy. Yeah, but he also he's one person that is capable of doing stuff like that. He's not like a a Bill Gates type that will buy someone else's intellectual no, no, property to do you it. You got to read the book. You got to understand when Mr. X said the stuff was out there. Who is Mr. X? Okay, just spit it out. So Mr. <laughs> X, Mr. X handed me the papers. Okay. Okay. Who is Mr. X? I never looked at these papers until I was writing the book. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Mr. X was a Supreme Court justice from a state. Okay. Okay. He also ran the patent office. He ran the copyright office, and he ran the trademark office. Okay. Okay. Obviously, he was an attorney. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, Mr. X actually is the guy... Who also worked for NASA. For NASA, yep. And he signed off on every satellite that's sitting up there in outer space today. And that's the man at 8 o'clock in the morning who told me there was nothing like what I had in the world. And when I told him that I was taking it to, to see a senator, he said, well, I wish you good luck with that. But remember the phone call. I left him a copy of it, and mm-hmm. when he called me, he said, two years later, I still have your intellectual property sitting on my desk, and I'm telling you, Eric, there's nothing in the world like this, but Bill Gates has your stuff. He's got it, and he's using it, okay? So What is his name? Yeah, uh, I'm not going to tell you his name, okay? But he may still be alive. See, I'm not certain if he's dead, okay? Broadwater is dead, yep. okay? Yeah. Okay? And... Um, uh, Oh, I made my first faux pas on air. You would have been proud of me. It's like when I got to the point where I was telling uh, who else uh, had given me some assistance. I was talking about the transportation guy. Mm-hmm. I told Eric Fleming, I said, well, the computer's guy named was Winston Jones, okay, who also is black, okay, but he's dead. I said, and the other guy and his name left me. And I said, oh, it'll come back to me. And then when it came back, I said, yeah, Vic- his name was Victor Jones. No, his name is Victor 
Johnson. So it was Winston Jones and Victor Johnson. How dare you make a mistake? Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> and so Victor's the transportation guy, and he's black, okay? Mm-hmm. And he's passed away. Broadwater's the one who's the Tuskegee Airman, okay, yep. who's the expert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was the uh, lieutenant colonel. Technology mm-hmm. and navigation, yep. okay? Now, you made an error when you said that he's the one that put it to paper. Oh, no. When I came and I saw Broadwater, it was all finished product. All he did was read everything, and that's when he looked at me and I said to him, is there any way anybody can, you know, tweak it, make it work a different way? Okay, so I missed, that, that was a case of me misunderstanding. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it wasn't put to paper, it was legitimately built. Oh, what he, well, what he did was he looked at all my plans to make certain that it wouldn't it was work 100% the way I running. designed it. Yeah. He looked at the hardware, the software, everything, yeah. and he closes the binder, and he looks at me, and I said, is there any way anybody can alter anything, change it a year from now, two years from now, 50 years from now, 100 years from now, and say, I am not the man who invented and created GPS point-to-point navigation? And he said, absolutely not. And he laughed, and he said, young man, you got this thing tighter than a gnat's ass. But for 30 years, everybody thought Bill Gates was the guy mm-hmm. who had given the go-ahead on GPS when, in fact, he was the theft thereof. So uh, when you read in the book, okay, and you actually can read all of my plans, you will see that um, I was in Pennsylvania at the time. Elon Musk and his brother uh, had just gone through a program or something, University of Pennsylvania, and they rented themselves a little room, put up a fax machine, got some maps, and started doing my program. Okay? So what's interesting is uh, also uh, people have said, well, you know, what about a statute of limitations? You're talking about being ripped off 30 years ago. Well, guess what, people? Okay? The way that the statute of limitation works, if you have a good or a product, okay, let's say that you built it in 1989, right? Mm -hmm. After seven years, anybody can copy it, okay? It becomes public domain unless it has become altered or has been created in a different utilization, okay? Every year they manufacture a new car, my GPS goes in there, the statute of limitations will never, ever run out. The second thing is when you get into books and you get into book royalties, okay, and you look at a contract that basically says, I write the book, you sell the book. Hey, I finally found it. I finally found it. I finally found it. Where uh, Wikipedia says, turn by turn, same thing. Here we go. Navigation is invented. Real-time, turn by turn, navigation instructions by computer was first developed at the MIT Media Laboratory by James Raymond Davis and Christopher M. Schmant. In 1988, their system, Backseat Driver, monitored the car's position using a system developed by NEC that that communicated over cellular modem with software running on Symbolics Lisp machine at the Media Lab. The computer was then used... Now, you want me to tell you how it worked? Sure. Yeah, okay. So say you want to go to the 7-Eleven, and 7-Eleven is on 5th Street. You're on uh, the corner of uh, 3rd and Bayberry. So you set it for 7-Eleven or whatever or the address where the 7-Eleven was. So it says, okay, go to the corner and make a right. Go to the next corner and make a right. Go to the next corner and make a left. You're at 7-Eleven. Now, the only thing it could then do was say, okay, leave 7-Eleven. Go back to the corner, make a right. Go back to the next corner, make a left, and you're right back to square one. It went front. It didn't go, it, it was not 
point-to-point uh, -point navigation that I, in fact, created. All they did all was it, just reverse, was reverse it, it was, it was the just travel. Reversed, it was just a reverse. I actually yeah. saw those patent papers uh, in the box that uh, Victor Johnson had given me uh, for transportation. And like I said, as far as uh, Mr. X goes, who ran the patent office, Navy, uh, retired uh, Supreme Court judge and uh, ran the patent, the copyright and the trademark office who had my plans on his desk for two years and swore to me there was nothing else like it. Yeah. So, but like I said, uh, the GPS, as you guys know it, as it's utilized, I'm the guy. But remember, what did I say in my book description? You read and decide, okay? Mm -hmm. So I'm not out there in this book saying, yeah, I did this and I did that. And it's not a woe is me book. I'm not saying, hey, this guy took advantage of me and that guy took advantage of me and this guy did this to me and stuff like that. There's none of that in there. What it is is it's like, okay, here's an event that took place. Mm -hmm. Okay. Here's how I believe God gave me the remedy to fix it. Here's how I created it. Here's how I invented it. Here's the paper trail. Here's how I sent it off to get it protected. And when it came back, it's like all Hades broke loose. You read and you decide. And that's it. Okay, so I, I understand, man, that people have been trying to look until the cows come home. But let me tell you something. One of the first things that I did was I actually personally bought a $205.43 copy in hardcover and sent it to the number one computer lady at MIT. She has it. Okay, and you know what you hear back? From What's all her these name? People? Yeah, you know what you hear back? I don't, I don't recall. And you know what you hear back from these people? Freaking crickets. Crickets. Here's an interesting one. Everybody knows who Matt. I was going to say, do you know any things at MIT? I guarantee has. Yeah, yeah. It's you know right what here. I'm going to say. It's yeah. like, here you go. See if I'm lying. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So uh, everybody knows who Madeleine Albright is, right? Yes. She used to be a Secretary of State yep. underneath, I think, Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton. Right? Yep. Okay. So she has this lady who was like her number one, and this lady had been with her for I don't know how long, right? So all of a sudden, one day, I'm online, and I'm on Twitter at the time, right? And this lady comes on from Politico, and she's talking about that, you know, there was no way that Trump's inauguration got the same amount of uh, fans, you know, or, or people in the crowd, you know, as Obama's did. And I shot back, and I said, well, I was there, okay? I said, and uh, trust me, there were people as far as the eye can see, all right? So she took umbrage with that, and she said, well, we're going to have a conversation, but you can't lie about things. I said, I'm not lying. I said, if you think about it, if you're standing in a crowd, you can only see people as far as your eyes can see. Yeah, I said, but I am telling you, trust me, there were, there were probably a couple million people that were there. Okay, I've never in my life, you know, been part of seeing uh, that much. But the coolest thing was, was remember, I was working, you know, uh, and making phone calls, and I had sent stuff upstairs, right? So when they asked for volunteers to work, the inauguration, I signed up, and I was the 16th person picked and out of out of 4,000, okay? It was the coolest thing. So they were going to actually have me be a tour guide on a bus for the cabinet to seat them in the presidential box, right? Mm -hmm. wow. But what happened was the weather was so bad, so many people didn't show up, they actually scrapped that, so they moved me to be the guy to seat people next as an usher, Next to the presidential box. My claim to fame, I got to tell Marla Maples where to sit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But anyway, it was pretty cool, you know. Mm -hmm. So I put her right close to the wall there, you know. 
But uh, the interesting thing about it is, is, is that ridiculous. this place was locked down, man. So there was me and a lady, and they had us paired. And uh, this one guy walked over to us, and she asked him a question or something like that. And he looked at her, and he looked at me. He says, we're not worried about you two. Right now, you are on the safest piece of real estate on the face of the earth. And trust us, they know how many cavities are in your head. Jesus. Yeah. Okay. So, um, you know. Pretty amazing thing. So uh, up on a golf cart comes Kellyanne Conway. Holy crap. Kellyanne steps off. I was going to say just really quick, me being former military, then after that executive protection, stuff like that. Yeah. I've dealt with these type of events and crowds. Am Am I lying? No. No. I can tell tell you right now that especially when it comes down to dealing with Secret Service, stuff like that. Yeah. You would not believe the intel these people have on a four-block radius. Oh, dude. Just they, for lack they, of a they better. They send out oh, yeah. scouts ahead of time. we we got to wrap this up, yeah. Sam. we yeah. got like four minutes left. But, like, I, I was working a certain ferry at a certain location, and some of these guys came down, and, like, I smelled it a mile away because yeah. chance. I know them. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah. But, like, they're walking around, ask questions, and, like, of course, like, they're trying to get on, like, the private area of the dock, which is security control because that's part of, you know, working boats. You have right. to have access control because it's a federal offense, piracy, if you steal a boat or do right. anything like that. Yeah. Well, these guys are coming down. I'm like, what are you doing? You know, and they're asking all kinds of questions. I'm like, look, I know you got an event coming on here. Nobody can go past this point. This is access control. This is a federal offense. If somebody goes through here, oh, we're with these people. I don't care, blah, blah, blah. And they were super cool about it. And it's like, cool. At least we know there's security here. And it's like, yeah, we also have private security that comes up and does this, that, and the other. So they're checking all of this stuff, right. checking out all contingencies, all the craziness that can hop on behind the scenes. Well, to well, show you how detailed that that kind of security protection is, and to, for anybody who doubts this, I can tell you right now for a fact from my own research that I've had to do for protection teams that you want to make sure you don't put anybody in a hotel over five stories. Here's the reason why. There is no fire ladder truck in the state of Florida that will reach past five stories. There you go. Yep. All right. Anyways, um, moving on. Mr. Stevens. That one thought. Yep. So the one thought, thought is, so Kellyanne Conway comes up on a golf cart. Okay. So I'm standing there. There's nobody else there. And she gets off. She takes a picture. She says her goodbyes to these people. And she's she steps to the left and she's got her back to me. And I'm like four feet away from her. But they told us you can't speak to these people, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm standing there, and I'm wanting to go, oh, oh, it's me. It's Eric. I'm the one that's been sending you the stuff, the guy who's stuck on the outside, right? Couldn't say a word. So that's the closest that I've been to any of them. I've never uh, spoken to any of them, but this is really interesting. So um, one night, my son's driving me in the car, and my phone rings, and it lights up, and it says, White House. But it says two lines, White House. My son looks at me and he says, you going to answer that? I said, I'm not going to answer that at 11 o'clock at night. I said, mm-hmm. I didn't call anybody there. I said, he said, you going to let it ring? I said, I'm going to let it ring. Okay. So I let it ring, right? Uh, I did not answer it. Next morning, exit, Steve Bannon. And then I was left with Kellyanne. And then when Kellyanne left, I was then left. I said, well, let me try the West Wing. And my papers went through the West Wing. So the papers that I will release in book two, you'll be able to see everything that I sent forward uh, to the Trump organization and my ideas and thoughts and things. You'll be able to just tell what they acted on. But uh, trust me, uh, they definitely used my stuff. 
All right. Well, for all of you listening out there, once again, we're going to have Christopher St. Booth next week uh, coming on to the show. Uh, and also, too, make sure that you definitely check out Herbert, Herbert Eric Stevens and his book. And definitely keep an eye out for part two because we've had a, this is the first time we've ever had this happen. Had the same guy come back on three separate shows to do this one interview. Oh, yeah. Because the story is just, the, the story is just it's incredible. It's crazy. Yeah. 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 Anyways. Yeah. But listen, I greatly appreciate the opportunity. Uh, and everybody's got to check out Paraprobe. Just put it in your Google search and it'll come up. These guys have done a lot of great work. They've had a lot of great guests. And uh, there's just a plethora of information out there on these guys. And we're actually pretty smart. And you're well. I that, mean, that, you know, let's that was very kind. Here, that you know that was mean? very kind of you. Yes, it was. Yeah, but really, do that. Really, really. Uh, All right, folks. Great time, and thank you both. Take care. Thank easy. you.